Hello everyone and welcome to an episode of another episode of Study of X, the podcast where we go through the Krakoa era of X-Men com- comics uh, in loose chronological order. Uh, my name is Tim, I am your host, and with me as always is Chris. I am very excited to talk about Hellions, I really can't wait. And, and I guess some of the other comics, too. You know, there's two others here. But I'm here. This is now a Hellions podcast. I hope everybody's excited. And Sergio. Yeah, I am excited. I'm also a little sleepy because we didn't take daylight savings into account for this. So it's a little later than we usually record. But it's fine. I'm, I'm excited. I read Hellions. I, I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. Uh, but I do know it's a thing that we read. It, yep, it is a thing that we read. <laughs> <laughs> so much excitement about it. Uh huh. But yeah, so uh, yeah, we got a issue of Hellions, an issue of New Mutants, and an issue of Excalibur this week. Uh, do you want to get into it, or? Yeah, I'm ready to dive in. If you two are. All right. All right. Let's go. So for our brand new comic, we have Hellions number one. Let them be snakes. Uh, this is written by Zeb Wells and was released initially back in March of 2020. And we're opening up here in San Francisco uh, as a group of Wolverine, Beast, Siren, Rock Slide, Havoc, and Nightcrawler take down some gun dealers that are selling to the Hellfire Cartel. Uh, the Hellfire Cult. Yes. The Cult. Oh, is yeah. it the Cult? Did I write Cartel? I probably wrote yeah. Cartel. Yeah. The Hellfire Cult, who are legally distinct from the Hellfire Club. Yes, we even get a very, very nice little editorial author's note. Yeah, a nice little author's yeah. note back down there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it seems like a pretty standard mission. They they want to try to figure out who's selling weapons to these guys. Um, Havoc yeah. thinks Havoc thinks they uh, Nightcrawler wonders if they stole them. Havoc's like, no, nah, this is someone trying to kill us. And as they kind of debate some uh, morality things, uh, the van behind them explodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something to note here uh, that we're going to see again is apparently this is the anniversary of the Mutant Massacre, uh, which we've talked about briefly when it came to Marauders, and we met some of the Morlocks. And this is going to be something that's coming up a couple times in this uh, issue. But it doesn't surprise me that there would be people out there celebrating a bunch of mutants dying. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, things are not well for our uh, little X-Men group here as Havoc is getting just just beat up by a bunch of racists. And uh, then Havoc loses his mind. Yeah, there, there's no other way to put it. His, his text box becomes a little, you know... Sh- shaky? Shaky, yeah. Uh, he starts laughing, which you really shouldn't do when you have the shaky text box. Uh, and then looks like he's about to melt someone's head before he gets stopped by Wolverine and wa- Rockslide. Yeah, he is. Uh, y- you see some like flesh bubbles coming off this dude's head, like it's pretty brutal. Uh, so before we get too far into this, what do we know about Havoc? Uh, I know he is uh, one of Scott's brothers. Uh, he's got some fun powers going on, and I'm currently rereading the Age of, uh, no, not the Age of Apocalypse, uh, the Onslaught Saga, uh, and he's in there a little bit as well. Do you, uh, do you know anything about this character, Sergio? 
Yeah, I know he's a Scott's brother, and I know he has some fun powers, and I'm not reading anything in, with him in it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, yeah, this is Scott's brother. Uh, got little laser powers here. Um, but yeah, he's was actually one of the X-Men in the original 60s run of it. He was joined later with Polaris. But yeah, he's uh he's kind of had a rough go of things just in general. Uh Yeah. Seems to have some temperament issues. Yeah, yeah. Uh just from different things. Uh this is a character who's uh, had his fair share of struggles. But I yes. Mean, yeah, I feel like being Scott's younger brother probably is not a good position to be in ever. Um and that's not something I would wish on anybody. Uh, but I was also reading uh, for this issue that specifically his breakdown here is a reference to the Axis event. Do you know what that was, Tim? Yes, I do. In the Axis event, a bunch of uh, characters got inverted in terms of like morality. So the villains became heroes and the heroes became villains, which is really, really dumb. Um, at the conclusion of it, uh, three characters were left in their inverted states, and that was, um, Iron Man, Havoc, and Sabretooth. Got it. I love how good and evil is just, like, a toggle. Yeah, 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 you just flip the dial. Mm Mm-hmm, and then suddenly it's a different character. Yeah. So, but, okay, I was curious, I was reading a, um, interview with Zeb Wells, and he mentioned that specifically for Havoc here. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that does make sense, because, yeah, he was, um, I think, like, the last character that still was in that status quo. Hmm. Uh, Iron Man got turned back around real quick, and Sabretooth just kind of decided to start being evil again, as you do. Mm-hmm. As you do in preparation to join the pit. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so, uh, Havoc gets tackled by the rest of the X-Men, uh, who doesn't seem to have much any memory of what he just did. Mm-hmm. Which, again, poor Havoc. That's going to be a, a, ref- a whole thing for Hellions, which is, I feel bad for the guy. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, after that, we're off to the Quiet Council. Yes, and this is where we get kind of our idea of what this comic is going to be, uh, as the Quiet Council is now deciding what to do with the more troublesome mutants that they have that are still causing problems for everybody. Yeah. And this is where we get a nice group shot of our team. Um, Normally, I would explain all of them here, but we're actually going to get a bit of an explanation for each of them as we go along. So we'll go through that as they pop up. Yeah. And... Our first one here is Empath and his crimes. Uh, Kind of self-explanatory as Empath forced Cat's Eye to violently fight some other older members of the original Hellions team and is able to turn one person who is trying to stop him to enjoy the fight going on as well. Uh, Essentially, Empath's abilities is he is able to influence the emotions and feelings of others around him to his benefit. Yeah. uh, Also, just for a little background, the Hellions were basically the evil new mutants. Um, This was Emma Frost's old school. This was like her answer to that, pretty much. Um, Empath 
was the worst of that group. I yeah, I I get that feeling. <laughs> like the uh, the other evil Hellions also did not like this guy. Yeah, he he comes across as the guy that even the villains don't like. Uh, yeah. He's very arrogant and self-centered, uh, which we're actually going to get to as something being touched on in the story. Uh, but when I was looking up his backstory, I also found out he dated Magma for a bit. So I guess everybody yeah. has has bad dates, and that was Magma's. I Yeah, I, I don't remember that exactly. I remember that happening. I don't remember the context of it. Uh, that might have been mm-hmm. against her will, but I couldn't say for sure. Yeah. Has he considered changing his name to Consent Man? Uh, he probably should. I I think this is a bad character. I I th- like thematically bad fraud. Yeah, there's a lot that you can do and take with this character that are very very problematic, uh, and. You know, not in the fun way that comic co- comic books can be with problematic characters. Uh, but he is here part of the team, so we'll see what he ends up doing. Yeah, definitely, like, up there with the horrible twins. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes. The, he almost seems like an older version of them. You know, if they kept going down their path of just rewriting people's memories and emotions and feelings... They could just be grown-up versions of, you know, him. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he uh, he makes some other characters fight each other, and then we get a data page about the empath problem. Yes, and this is... Uh, I like I actually really like this data page, uh, but I'm also kind of biased towards the psychology problems of things. Uh, but essentially, empath's powers made him a sociopath. Uh, it was not that a sociopath was given mutant powers... It's that when his abilities began at a young age, because he could turn the emotions of everyone around him to something positive, he never got negative feedback for anything. So for him, everything he does is good, which is not going to make you a very good social human being. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the gist of it. Mm-hmm. Who do, who do we think wrote this? I don't know. I was thinking about that too. I almost the second one. I kind of got the vibe that it was Beast. Mm-hmm, same. Uh, this one, I'm really not sure of. Yeah, I, I I wonder why it's not like signed or anything. I would think that Beast makes sense. Yeah. I I also think so because not only does this end with, you know, not not saying that empath is a bad person, but it's him going. Well, what does that mean for us as a society? How do we rehabilitate mutants without rejecting their identity? It becomes more of a philosophical problem than an actual, you know, empathetic problem. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that is our first member of this new Hellions team. Uh, We're now going to meet Orphan Maker and Nanny. And we open up with my favorite introduction, which is Orphan Maker punching Beast across the face, trying to be held down by Angel as he yells that he just does not want to take a nap. No, no, he does not. Uh, yeah, uh, he, he does not seem happy in this situation. I'm not really sure what's going on. I think they were just trying to separate him from Nanny for whatever reason. 
that's what it looks like. Uh, Beast at one point does tell him, hey, you need to learn how to take care of yourself. You don't need Nanny. But he instead just headbutts Beast as a response, which I think is the proper thing to do to Beast at this point. Yeah. So Yeah, can't can't feel too bad for him. So what do we what do we know about Orphan Maker and Nanny? <laughs> Sergio, do you want to take this one first? I know nothing about Orphan Maker and Nanny. <laughs> I, I know he's a weird purple Iron Man. He does look like Iron Man, like a lot. I don't know if that's intentional. I don't know either. I kind of like it. I really like the purple and the blue. Uh but to answer that question also Starting out this comic, I had no idea who these people were. And Nanny is still a horrifying creature. Uh, she is like if the Humpty Dumpty was also Iron Man, and I don't like it. She's got pouches. She does have pouches. I don't pouches. know. Everyone everyone keeps reacting to her like she looks hideous, but I, I bet there are weirder mutants out there. Yeah. I feel like this is not uh, proportional to how she looks. She's fine. She's an egg. Yeah. Giant egg with gloves and stuff. And little little black lips. Yeah. So just, they make a very interesting duo. Um, would you guys like to hear about who they are? Yes. So Nanny was introduced first in X Factor number 30 in 1988. Uh, she was a scientist who worked with a group called The Right. Uh, until she learned that they had anti-mutant designs. She, being a mutant, tried to leave, but that group captured her, tortured her, and put her in the egg suit, which is where she lost her sanity. Uh, she now believes that the parents of mutant children are all evil and that she alone must save them. Thus, she saved Orphan Maker, who was introduced a comic later in X-Factor 31, from Mr. Sinister, and the two have been a pair ever since. What are her mutant powers? I don't know, and it's not expanded upon. Okay. I'm going yeah. to assume something mechanical, given she is in a mechanical egg, but maybe not. But she was forced into the egg. Yes, and then decided to stay there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they... Uh... Nanny, Nanny sings a kind of a creepy song to Orphan Maker, and we are done with that scene. So is Orphan Maker just, like, emotionally stunted? There's nothing that explains his behavior here, like, childlike manner? No. Mm -mm. He, he's just kind of emotionally stunted. It's assumed that Mr. Sinister did something when he had stolen him as a child, but it's never explained exactly what. Okay. Gonna, gonna have to take a lot of face value in this couple. Yeah. Yes, yes, especially for many of these characters. Uh-huh. So, so our next trip oh. is over to the Healing Gardens. Yes, and this is where we're going to meet Wild Child. Uh, we're going to open up with Sage and Dr. Reyes bringing Wild Child some calming medication to make him less bestial. Uh, the two kind of joke around for a bit before entering Wild Child's cell, where Dr. Reyes finds that he has not been taking his pills and has instead been burying them in the dirt, which alerts them just in time as he wakes up and is going to attack them both. He's been burying them in a perfectly circular hole. Yeah. Um, I think that's funny. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm also shocked that they are just now discovering this. 
Yeah, because yeah. they aren't very well hidden. The the nice perfect circular hole is just right there. Yeah, he just is digging a hole and putting the the pills in there. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's uh he's off his meds. He attacks. Uh, Cecile managed to block it with the barrier, and that's the end of that scene. And uh, yeah, what do we what do we know about Wild Child? Currently in the Onslaught saga, he is a very different character and is speaking in full sentences and is just acting like every other mutant. That's about all I know about him. Yeah, and um, he is, I think, introduced in Alpha Flight where yes. he is also, like, they kind of mentioned that here where Department H was giving him pills. That's like what the, that's what Alpha Flight was. Um. And he was kind of the same there, where it was like someone speaking in full sentences. But yeah, at, at some point, this is what happened to him. Uh, I know he palled around with Sabretooth for a bit. It, his appearance kind of gives him that look. And uh, yeah, and then we move on to our last character, which is John Greycrow, or Scalp Hunter. Yeah, a bit of a problematic name there. Uh, that he is called at the first title page. Uh, but for most of the book, he is just going to be called John Greycrow, and that's what I'm going to call him also. Uh, but we see him here uh, disassembling and reassembling his gun as he sits at a beach watching the sunset before being approached by a bunch of Morlocks who remind him that today is the day of the mutant massacre. Yeah. So they kind of explain this a little bit. Uh, Grey Crow was introduced uh, during that whole event. I don't actually remember what book he was introduced in. Uh, uh, it is Uncanny X-Men number 210. Yeah, it was. I, I knew it had to be one of those. It was like a cross-line event. But uh, yeah, he was leading the Marauders team that went down to the sewers and killed a bunch of Morlocks. Uh, yeah, so for, for them, he, he is the living boogeyman. Uh, I, I actually read into a little bit more on the Mutant Massacre since it was brought up again here. Uh, I didn't realize how brutal it was. Uh, you know, they don't show it because it's a comic, but, you know, there are elderly mutants down there. There are children and babies, and they're just all slaughtered in this entire event that happens. And Grey Crow was leading that team. Yeah, so these people show up and say it's the anniversary of the Mutant Massacre. Th these are some prominent Morlocks too, like Kalisto's leading this group. Uh, so yeah, they attack them. Mm -hmm. And apparently in the next page, we learn that they told the quiet council that gray crow attacked them. Honestly, he probably deserves it. Yeah. Not, not really a man deserving of sympathy for this. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's our team of uh, misfits here. Almost. We do have one more that we're going to talk about again, uh, because he has not been introduced fully to the Quiet Council. Um, but we do have the interesting question that is now being brought up, which is, what do we do with these problematic mutants when Krakoa is open for everybody? You know, so they don't have the grounds to turn these people away. Therefore, what do we do with them? However, before a answer can be brought up, uh, Mr. Sinister asks who is in the back, and that is when we see Havoc also within this group, and Cyclops doesn't take that very well. Yeah, uh, he's not super happy 
I I see why he's he's kind of just dealing with the protective big brother thing, but yeah, um, it's some people that Cyclops probably would not want to see his brother hanging around with or grouped together with. No, and I I don't totally blame him for this. Also, you know, Gene does mention that hey, Havoc put three people in the hospital, two lost limbs, and one is disfigured for life, and still Cyclops is like, well. I will still defend him because he is my brother. Yeah, uh, like there's there's this little like split panel here at the end with Magneto just being like, yeah, we if he if he had killed them, we'd have to put them in the pit. And Cyclops like, all right, I guess we're gonna have to throw hands. And it's <laughs> it's it's tense. Mm-hmm. It it is a very tense moment, which thankfully is broken by our favorite, Mister Sinister being the lovely mutant that he is. Because he had an idea. Yeah. Um, and what an idea it is. He'll he'll make a team. Mm-hmm. And for everything that Mr. Sinister is and the fact that you should never trust him, he does kind of have a point. <laughs> That's the problem. Uh, and, you know, his whole speech here makes sense. And he's like, well, what do we do with our outcasts? Do we medicate them? Do we incarcerate them? He's like, no, those are human solutions. Let's try something different because we're mutant. I'm not as compelled by his argument as I think you are. Yeah, I don't know if I am either. I, I feel like there's other solutions than making a uh, a team that here, but... Under known, untrustworthy... Mr. Sinister. Uh, Mr. Sinister? Yeah. Member of the Quiet Council, Mr. Sinister. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. The the man we always trust and who is, you know, making little jokes to Grey Crow over in the side panel. Yeah. I, I think it's the jokes that get me, really. Like at one point Mr. Sinister uh says a cuss word and Nanny's in the back saying, Cover your ears, Peter. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh Apocalypse threatens to kill him. And yeah, Sinister says, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's an expression of their mutation as a birthright, so we, we just gotta let them express themselves. And, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think this is the way, personally. I don't know if his intentions are great here. Oh, no, no. Yeah, I, I, I can't believe how this got pushed through the council. I, my faith in the council has never been lower <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I I say all of this that like this is a great idea that he brings forward, knowing completely that Mr. Sinister is doing this for his own benefit and is probably completely lying. However, it's really fun, and I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've argued several times for the council as, you know, this evil uh kind of system. But here it is shown to be, instead of evil, just incompetent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like... Yeah, completely. Almost too trusting, really. Because, you know, this is all supposed to be a new start for everybody. That includes Mr. Sinister, d- despite whatever has happened in the past. So I feel like they're giving him a pass for that. Yeah, I think this is just a desire for them to just not have to deal with this and instead mm-hmm. give the yeah. bonus of dealing with it to Sinister. Because they they have their actual laws that they can throw people in the pit for, and these the mutants that they have are like definitely problem elements, but they didn't break any laws, so it it, it probably is easier 
to just like do what Sinister wants to do here instead of like come up with a different solution. Yeah, and it's still basically like a form of incarceration, right? They're like forcing them to do this. Yeah. Yes. Like, like it's. They're not inventing anything. It's it's no. the job part of jail. It's it's yes. the part where you have to go press license plates. Mm-hmm. They basically just did a Suicide Squad. Yes. Yeah, basically. It, just a well, the, Suicide Squad. Yeah, without the bombs, but yeah. So, yeah, after this, we get a data page where uh, Scott apparently requested from someone, we don't really have a name on this, uh, to look into the sinister thing, hoping to get someone to say this is a bad idea. Uh, the the person who wrote this, which again I feel like this reads like Beast, uh, read it over and was like, "Oh no, that's a, that's a good plan, actually." I actually think it's uh Quanon who is doing this because she's gonna show up on the next one, agreeing to Scott's plan. Uh, I think this is her reading all of it and giving him the conditions for which she would join the group. Hmm. I don't know. I let me see. I I think the last line may lend some credence to that reading. I do find it very funny that overall this data page reads to me as if someone went, "Yeah, this is a terrible idea, but could this be a good idea?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I actually don't know because like I feel like the last sentence is them saying like yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this and Scott's never going to invite me over anymore. So I don't know if that's Quanon because it, it feels like they don't have that kind mm. of relationship. Uh, But yeah, like some of the data points in there, it's like, oh yeah, violent overreaction is the ideal. We, we want to get them in situations where they can just really mess some things up. And like, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's healthy. I, I there- don't know if it is healthy either, but also... It's that, or they're going to do the same thing on Krakoa, so you might as well kind of direct it. Yeah, I, I just feel like there's probably a healthier way than this. Like, there's therapeutic value in the carnage, but, like, they're sending them out in the field. This isn't, like, a like an angry room. Like, they're not going in there and smashing a toilet. Like, they're going to be doing yeah, this stuff. Is not, <laughs> this is not to their benefit, like, at all. Yeah. No one's thinking of their well-being. Yeah, it's like... Sinister isn't thinking of their well-being, and the... Council just wants to get these people off their sight. Yeah. I don't think there's there's like any charity going on here or like good intentions from anyone. Yeah, the this it, it feels like Cyclops is the only person that like is Yeah. He's the only person that sees it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's that's mostly because his brother's wrapped up in it. But yeah, to his credit, Scott is not okay with this idea and is trying to get someone to disapprove. Yes, and the person that he does try to get disapprove ends up approving of it anyway. <laughs> Even though we don't know the identity of the person who wrote this data page, they do come around to the idea. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I got the impression that Scott actually went to Quanon to like have her be on the team as kind of an insurance Yes, that is the vibe I got also, uh, because on the next page, Scott and Quanon do talk to each other, and it seems sh- that Scott wants her there to keep an eye on his brother, and to make sure that if something happens, go a bit easier on him. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Cut to Sinister Island. Yep. Where our, our new team of uh, heroes is gathered. 
Yes, and Sinister gives up on his whole speech pretty quickly and just tax, uh, tags Psylocke in instead. And she basically explains to them that their first mission is to go to the Essex State Home for Foundlings in out, outside of Omaha, Nebraska, where Mr. Sinister left one of his clone farms there, and they have been ordered to go there and blow it up and get rid of it. However... The leftovers of the original Marauders that Grey Crow used to be a part of are still there and are refusing to come to Krakoa, so they expect some sort of resistance. But the resistance are other mutants, therefore they can kill if they need to. Yep. Healthy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, extremely healthy. Just think of, like like one of you said, you know, it's sort of a rage, a rage room, but out in the world... And maybe there are some people in it, but you can kill those people. Yep. <laughs> It'll be therapeutic all around for everybody involved. Th I'm sure is... Empath will learn empathy by doing this. This is definitely a good idea. Um, but yeah, so Sinister says, let's go out and do this thing. And uh, every everybody seems like they're happy to go. Eh, I, don't, I don't know about happy. Yeah, um, Grey Crow threatens to shoot Empath if he's using his powers on him. Uh, Havoc says he would only ever go back to that place if he could burn it down, so this technically works for him, but he doesn't seem happy about it. Yeah. Uh, and then we have one of my favorite scenes where, uh, Nanny sneaks up on Mr. Sinister and scares the crap out of him, while also threatening him and telling him, do not go after Peter. Ever. Yep. Uh... Grey Crow tries to, uh, like, pacify Wild Child a bit. It doesn't go well for him. And uh, the two are thrown down before the mission is underway. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a very fun moment here where Havoc asks Psylocke how she's got here, and Psylocke just kind of stone faces him. Mm-hmm. It's a fun three-panel of him asking, silence, and then him going, Okay. Yeah, like, the the team just instantly breaks down into dysfunction. Yes, this is a bad team. <laughs> I, I don't think their first mission is going to go well at all. Yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah. So we get an overview here on the Marauders. Uh, Psylocke realizes that Sinister isn't saying something. And, and Sinister very openly says, of course I am. Yeah. And If I told you everything, it wouldn't be fun. Yeah, and then we go to the Essex estate, or the Essex state, and uh, we get the Marauders hanging upside down uh, before one loses their mouth to somebody doing some weird hand motions. Yeah, it's um not great. You know, it, it's, it looks clearly like there is blood dripping onto the ground into puddles here. This person loses their mouth and tries to, like, scream it open again before being forced to go back to sleep. Yeah, and, and again, this is not an unknown person. The, these are the original Marauders hanging around. Uh, and we get we get a reveal on who this is, and it is Madeline Pryor, the Goblin Queen, Jean Grey's clone. Dun-dun-dun. Yeah, um... Jean Grey's clone uh, is an evil witch person. Yeah, cool. a very storied history for her. A little complicated just because of uh, weird 
time travel stuff. Um, but yeah, we are very likely going to see more of her in the next issue, uh, which is where we can dive more into her history. Uh, but for now, that was Hellions number one. Yeah. And just, just for a little background here, uh, she was married to Scott and then later dated Havoc and tried to take over the world while doing so. As one does. Yeah. So, yeah, that's our first issue. We got our team of misfits. Yeah, uh, somewhat straightforward, but I'm interested in seeing where this goes. Yeah, I, I feel like this is, it's just kind of the groundwork issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. very much so. But yeah. Um, uh, still very enjoyable. I like the way these characters are introduced, especially for ones that I presume are not necessarily as well known as others. So, you know, they get their like time to breathe and introduce themselves. Yeah, I, I've, and it is an interesting kind of eclectic group. Yeah, I, I feel like it's definitely necessary for this group too because it's it, it is characters that are on the lesser known side of right. mutants. Uh, you you do got some big ones like Psylocke and Havoc and uh Mister Sinister as a big part of this, but yeah, it's it's a it's a team of uh kind of D listers here. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but I I think as far as number ones go. Definitely pretty good, and I do think it's because of what Sergio said, is that each of these new characters, or air quote new, did have time to breathe and kind of give you just a itty bitty bit of a taste of their character. Not enough to really be like, oh, I know who they are, but enough to make you go, okay, I would be interested to see what happens next. Yeah, Yeah, I I feel like the framing itself is a little forced. Uh, but the kind of individual stories we get for each of the characters is as fine as introductions go. Yeah, it's it's also it's a, it's a it's a group of very loud personalities, so it does feel like it's going to be interesting watching them play off each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's our issue. And speaking of loud personalities, do we want to go into New Mutants? Oh, I I just wanted to mention real quick. I think it's funny how they kind of interchanged team names because the Emma Frost team is now the Marauders and the Sinister team is now Yeah, the Hellions, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's fun. And it's the other way around originally as as far as I understand. Yeah, the, so I think that's an interesting interesting switch there. I, I feel like we kind of glanced back at uh past it but there was even like a note where uh they mentioned that they couldn't call uh Sinister's old team the Marauders anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was Sinister calling that out, just calling Kate an upstart for stealing the name. Yeah. But he goes and steals this one back? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's interesting. Because it's okay if he does it. It's not okay if someone else does it to him. Uh-huh. All right. So we want to get into uh, a colder issue of New Mutants. Ah, I, I see yeah. what you did there. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm ready to go. Uh, so for New Mutants number nine, is something rotten in... Uh, This is written by Ed Bryson and was released back in March of 2020. And we're going to open up here uh, with a place that I don't know how to pronounce correctly. So I'm just going to call it Carnelia. That's that's I think that's that's probably close enough. This is not a real country. No, uh, we have moved on from fake uh, South American countries to fake European countries. uh, And this is definitely a fake European country. Uh, We're opening up here on a snowed-in factory that has a keep-out sign, uh, which looks like it's in Russian. 
and it looks like somebody is hiding away into this drainage pipe here. You can't really see who it is, but they've got purple arms and these weird... Gosh, I don't even know how to describe it. I've been thinking of ways to describe what these effects are because it's all throughout the comic, but there's like tendrils, but they end in little alien mouths. It feels like stuff I would expect from a Sandman comic. Yes, yes, yeah. that's a really good way to put it. They look like dream like constructs, like abstract, intentionally abstract, hard to parse uh, images. They kind of remind me of... Oh god, I forgot the name of the game. There's this game where you guess words based on images that seem like... Again, dreamlike, oh. or like they're operating under dream logic. Are you talking about the board game? Yes. Yeah, Mysterium. No, well, yeah, actually Mysterium does work as well. Uh, but yeah, this is kind of like the sort of like dream imagery that I would expect from like that sort of game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I 100% I agree with you. Yeah, like we, we see this child, I, I presume it's a child lying down inside of a tube, and at the end of the tube, there's this very ambiguous, like, bird thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That seems like it is connected to them in, like, this black ooze, almost. Yeah, like a path of ink. Mm -hmm. Yeah, trippy stuff happening here. I love trippy stuff. Yes, it's, it's really fun. I really love the art in this one that we get uh, with this character and what's going on. Uh, but we're going to get to that pretty shortly. Uh, so on the next page, we have a data page on Carnelia. Uh, it's located west of Ukraine, and it's a small country. The only really big thing to note here is that it does not recognize Krakoa as a sovereign nation. So they don't like mutants. Yeah. But uh -huh. yeah, this is just... Uh, we, we, got a, we got a lot more countries in the Marvel world than it seems like we have in our real world. Hmm. Like, like I, I don't think Draberg is a real place. I don't think it is either. I don't think Simcaria is a real country. Yeah, uh, Latveria's mm -hmm. here. Yeah, like there, there's, yeah, there, there's a lot going on here. Uh, but yeah, so uh, yeah, that's our new uh fake country there. I I am again very curious on the history of some of these places. Um, for this one, uh, it's actually not super popular. I looked it up. It was invented in an Iron Man comic back in 1978. Uh, and at one point, Iron Man killed a uh, state representative from Carnelia, but that was about it. Iron it Man, you really... can't, you can't do that. I know you can't do <laughs> state assassination. That's that's not what Iron Man does. Well, okay, maybe it depends on the Iron Man. Uh, but yeah, in the seventies, no, that was absolutely his thing at that moment. Yeah, but yeah, not doesn't really show up much outside of that until this comic. Yep. But we're back at the sextant. Yep, and we have our pals from space are back, reconvening with our friends from Nebraska, and Boom Boom is not happy to have not been invited to space. Yeah, apparently she, they attempted to wake her up, and she just slept through it. Uh, she's upset that Chamber and Magma, or Chamber and Mondo got to come, and she did not. Honestly, just a fun little scene between all of them. I'm yeah. curious to know if Hickman originally picked that group of mutants and just left her out, or if it was a mutual thing between Bryson and Hickman being like, I'll take these characters, you take those characters. 
and then Bryson just having fun with it when they got back because, you know, Boom Boom does seem like the kind of person that would be upset about being left behind from a space adventure. Yeah. Uh, Magma is also here. Very happy to see everybody. Apparently Chamber has a crush. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if these characters have met previously, but... I don't know either. You know, I, I don't know a lot of the history of the New Mutants, so I could not say if they have been around each other or not. Yeah. Can you remind me when the last time we saw Chamber was? Uh, Probably still on space. I think him and Mondo both decided not to uh, fight anybody and then got blown up anyway. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, sure. they, they Chamber did participate in the uh, the dice rolling game. So I guess he did fight at the end of that oh. arc. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, he did. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so uh, after our little introduction scene, we go over to the summer house where Cyclops is talking to Magic. Uh, not about Havoc this time. Nope. Uh, this time he is questioning what happened in Nebraska, uh, specifically how poorly it went. And Magic, I think, does the correct thing here uh, by defending her friends and saying, yes, a couple of the humans died, but it was because another human killed them. And the mutants there did the absolute best that they could, given the situation. And they shouldn't really be chided for that. Yeah, basically just kind of defending themselves here. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was kind of a shit show, but, you know, they did what they could. Yeah. It, it was, I really really can't blame them. It, it was a shit show, but it was a shit show they were definitely not aware was going to be so when they walked into it. I, I, I don't yeah. blame them for not being better prepared on that. They thought they were just going to go say hi to their friend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they, they didn't provoke it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, depending on how you look at it, it's either the wrong place at the wrong time or the right place at the wrong time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Magic basically just tells him to screw off and walks away. Mm -hmm. And we cut back to Carnelia here as two guards for this uh, unnamed factory are looking around for their partner when they walk in and see this absolutely horrific scene of their partner trapped in... I don't even know how to describe it if one of you want to try and take a crack at it, but it's terrifying. It also... Yeah, it's like a... Sorry. Dreamscape bubble. Yeah. They're, they got some creepy eyes sticking out of, like, tendrils. You got, like, your little mouth thing. And, yeah, this person seems like they have been, like, heavily mutated into some vague dream spear. Uh-huh. Uh, there's... It's great. I love this. Th it looks <laughs> great. I, I agree. Like, this is, uh... It's really cool looking. Yeah. I mean... It is, for me, it's hard to describe, but that's in a good way, you know? It, it's kind of the nonsense of a just absolutely horrific nightmare, not something like generic horror. It's very unique in what it's trying to do. Like, like it's, uns yeah. it's unsettling because it's just like, I don't know what this is. Yes. Yes. It's very much reminiscent of, like, weird horror, like weird science horror. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would agree on that. Uh, so after it does, it does remind me of like Jeff Vandermeer stuff. I don't know who that is. I also. Don't oh, know who he's that the is. he's the author of a book that the Annihilation movies are. 
Right? Oh, so, okay. Ooh, okay. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's got some weird, weird horror books that I think fit this vibe perfectly. Man. So that's what comes to mind. And that's why I kind of love this issue. I, I'm going to have to look those up because that sounds awesome. Yeah. Though they are pretty good. They're fantastic. So, yeah, after that, we go back to Krakua, and uh, we're blasting off on the Pack Rat 2. Uh, some of us are. It looks like Karma, uh, Danny, Chamber, Boom Boom, and uh, Magma. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have decided to head over to Carnelia because there is a kid over there who just discovered she's a mutant, and they figure... Hey, let's go find her and help her out because Carnelia is not a place for mutants. They're not very pro-mutant. In fact, they don't recognize mutants existing, at least within their borders. Yeah, um, they they mentioned the council's probably not going to be too keen on this. Um, I who told them? Uh, I think we get that answer either the next page or the page after that because uh, we're going to learn Cipher has been trying to find a way to create a list of people. Yeah, I I assume it's probably Cipher, but I I'm like I don't know. I I feel like it's not yeah. super clear. Uh, no, I would agree with that. It's not clear how they find this out unless there are just like news bulletins put out whenever somebody discovers they're a mutant. Yeah, like but... new mutant discovered on Carnelia. Mm-hmm. Just like newsreel that. Yeah, there, there. I'm sure there's like a Twitter account out there for Cerebro. That's just like yeah, new mutant dislocation. Sounds so, like sounds like doxing, but you know. Yeah, it it does. But yeah, uh, M- Mirage is uh, concerned about what they're heading into, but boom, boom, just blast off. Uh, mm-hmm. Better to ask, beg forgiveness than ask permission, which is uh, how I decide things in my life too. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like going against the quiet council and not telling them what you're doing. Yeah. So back in the sextant, in the Alpha House, uh, Cypher is setting up this connection between the information that they have from Cerebro and the Krakoan Gates. It seems like they're still working on that list to find what mutants have actually arrived and who haven't arrived. And in order to kickstart this connection, uh, he needs Mondo to talk through... Krakoa again, which uh, neither party wants to do, and they still hate it, and it is still horrifying. Yeah, uh, Cypher is apparently getting punched twice for this, uh, but yeah, he he does the thing, they do the thing, no one's happy about it. No, no, he should probably be punched at least three or four times. Yeah. It works, though. Yeah, yeah they, they, it, they get it done. Yeah, they they are able to set up this system now. So whenever a mutant walks through one of the Krakoan gates, it's run through a, or it's run against a list from Cerebro. So given enough time, they should know who hasn't actually been on the island. It's a good idea, honestly. Yeah. So he's he's got himself a little list, and our next data page is a data page about this mutant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is translated from Russian. Uh, it says that there is a missing girl named Natasha Rapina. Uh, she's 13 years old, and the last time she was seen was in uh, Sedovia Street in Carnelia. Uh, it looks like her parents were both found dead, and she is currently missing. And any information about her is being asked to 
you know, be reported to the Carnelian authorities. Yep. So that's that's probably our mutant here. Yeah, pretty strong hints in that direction. Uh, we go back to Carnelia, where the uh, the military seems to be thinking about going to do this crazy dream thing when the the new mutants arrive. Mm-hmm. And in the background here of the first shot of the military, you can see this black purple dome. It's the same color as what that one guard was trapped in. So my assumption is is that it has been growing. You yeah. know, this is going to take over the city at some point. Um they immediately are concerned that nobody can speak Russian. They should have brought Doug, but Boom Boom knows a bit of Russian luckily, so she's able to uh convince the captain to let them go in. Although it's uh relations don't seem great here. Yeah, the captain immediately blames the mutants for all of this happening, and before mutants showed up, none of this would have ever happened, etc., etc. You know, the usual anti-mutant talk that people give. Yeah, very, very reasonable perspective from the captain, though, here. Like, once he figures out they're trying to go in, he's like, yeah, go for it. You'll you'll either die or you'll fix the problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, actually. Yeah, I do love... Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, Sorry. I was just going to say good on him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I do love the visuals here with the giant purple bubble and the military guys completely at a loss about what to do with it. Yeah. It's like, just, I love this kind of fiction, like this scenario here. Yeah, like, the, they are absolutely baffled. They, it, It's a bunch of, like, military guys just looking just lost as they just, mm -hmm. like, stare at this with some crazy guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not a problem they can shoot their way out of. Yeah. Yeah, but they just can do nothing but stare at the unknowable uh, nightmare orb. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the new mutants go pay it a visit, and uh, we, we kind of get our first glimpse at this actual, uh, this mutant that's in here. And it looks like uh, Natasha has also kind of, like, morphed herself. Yeah, and yeah. I, I kind of agree with Mirage here is I don't even know what this is they're looking at or that they're dealing with. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's more abstract nightmare stuff. I see vague shapes of scaffolding. There's almost like neurons and different things. I see a skeleton of some sort of snake in there. Yeah, it's it's it, it feels a little bit easier to make sense of it in this panel. But yeah, it's there. there's some gnarly stuff going down in this orb uh-huh uh it's so good it, it looks so good yeah um mirage says we can't have anybody go in and karma decides to just link with her psychically and see if that can help uh it doesn't uh no and uh karma specifically calls out that it's like this mutant or she is asleep like she's in a nightmare and before she's able to say anything else uh, the mutant inside wakes up and says no, and we get this horrifying full-page image of her being consumed by this nightmare. Yeah, there's like a worm coming out of her eye, another eye's on fire, there's like a hand worm coming out of her mouth. Two of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, th things look scary. Yes, and that's putting it lightly. Uh, also, big shout-outs to the colorist for doing all of this, because everything involving this strange reality bubble and nightmare stuff 
looks fantastic. It looks completely different than everything else around it and really helps sell that this is something different is happening. Yeah. We also get uh, Karma speaking in Russian here, so we kind of get our first real voice of the mutant, aside from, you know, the beginning of the pipe. And yeah, she just, she seems to not be in control of what is happening currently. Uh, Chamber tries to rescue her. That doesn't go super well for him either, and he also gets dragged into this orb. Uh, Magma has about the same faith or fate as the rest of them not long after. And we yeah. are down to uh, two new mutants real quick. Yeah, and it almost does look like those that are trapped or brought into this reality distortion, their powers kind of go haywire a little bit because magma is still magma at that point. Uh, but Chamber especially looks like he is just exploding with energy. Yeah. But yeah, they, they all yeah, kind of... Things, things look rough. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, back in Krakoa, Cypher, Mondo, and Armor roll up on another area of the Six Tent, it seems. Yes. This time, they head over to the MLF domain, uh, which stands for the Mutant Liberation Front. Uh, it looks like that's where this group of mutants tend to hang out here. Uh, and I will say that the uh, Mutant Liberation Front, they were also a counter group to the New Mutants, uh, kind of like the Hellions, but a lot more violent. Um, the New Mutants at one point were led by Cable, while the Mutant Liberation Front was led by Strife, which is a clone of Cable, but they tended to take things more radically and would usually bomb or kill people and were then labeled a terrorist organization. So just yeah. to give you an idea of this house that they are entering here. Just as a, I love how the sextant just has a Mad Max area. Yeah, this I I I really like this forearm man just hanging out in a couch, just looking like a junkyard vibe. They got like a yes. truck out here. I I want to know who brought the truck through a Krakoan portal because good on them for adding to the Mad Max vibe. It's really good. Th they like. I, I wonder if they specifically requested that they wanted their area to look like the outside of like a junkyard uh, in like West Texas or something. Uh huh. Because like that—that that is, it. like, like this is, this is like Bakersfield vibes. Yes, one hundred percent. And I, there's a dog here on the couch. Do you think the dog is also a mutant? No, I, I, I bet the dog's just a dog. But yeah, I, I, I like the vibe of this place like a lot. This is good. Um, also, just as a... So Cable only led the New Mutants for about six issues. Uh, I, I feel like MLF is probably closer to uh, X-Force's Hellions. Because hmm. th okay. they, were, they were primarily, like, I think, an antagonistic force when they were kind of doing their thing. I but. I could see that. Uh, I remember the little bit I was looking up about them. It did lead into saying Cable kind of turned the New Mutants into an X Force at one point. Yeah, is so what it sounded like in like the last six issues of New Mutants, it got the the run got taken over by Rob Liefeld, who you know introduced Cable and all that because of course it's Rob Liefeld. Um, and the run ended at like issue a hundred and then X-Force started, which was like the same team, but they, you know, it just, it wasn't really new mutants at that point. 
Got it. Okay, that that makes more sense then. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so th- they walk in here. I love this little pool table they got set up. I like this this dude just lifting weights in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, j- just helps with the junkyard Mad Max vibe. Like this is this is like a a vibe and a half here. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when Cipher goes into the back room where we see Wildside, which is the person he was there for to ask for help. Uh, this room also continues with that vibe because we have an old stereo here. The place is an utter mess with junk food and cans. And, you know, I would not like to be in this house or this room, but I would appreciate the vibe from afar. He is uh, clipping his toenails with, like, sheer scissors over a half-eaten sandwich. It's disgusting. It's so gross. I will say the only positive I can give this room is the fan seems to be made out of plants, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, I I would agree this room looks terrible. Um, It probably smells awful. This is the most lived in I think we have ever seen a location on Krakoa so far. Yes. Yeah, totally. Uh, the, the kind of beat up couch is honestly kind of funny to me. Like, how did you get it like that beat up this fast? Mm-hmm. Unless it came pre-beat up, which it might be like the truck. So. Maybe it came in the truck. Mm, there you go. You can see them bringing everything here from wherever they were previously. Oh, yeah. So, Just put it, but yeah, put it through the portal. Yeah. Uh, nothing says uh, that inanimate objects cannot be brought through the portals. That's true. I mean, you walk through with your clothes. I, I don't know why you couldn't bring a couch. Boom. There you go. Uh, but yeah, we do get wild side here, uh, and he does berate the new mutants. Uh, that is because Wildside was a member of the Mutant Liberation Front. Uh, in fact, he was one of their heads uh, for a while outside of Strife. Uh, and his main power, all we need to know for now, is that he can cause very, very intense hallucinations in people to the point where they think that they are real. Oh, huh. Yep. So that's that's yeah. our dude. We're, we're bringing yep. him along, I guess. How that will play in uh, to this reality warping thing that's going on, we'll see. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, really cool issue. I really like the visuals in this. I really like the concept of this new mutant. Not one of the new mutants, but uh, the mutant that is being introduced in this issue. Yes. Uh, really looking forward to how this pans out. Yeah. I, I really hope they like milk it for all it's worth. I, I think um, I'm, I'm really excited about where this goes. I, I think this is the most promising start to an arc that... Uh, Ed Breeson's had on the new mutant since he's like started on it. So yeah, it's it's good stuff so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I love some fucked up mutants not in like the uh, ethically fraught sense, <laughs> but in the like legitimately fucked up sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. like like uh, and this fits the bell to a T. Yeah, yeah. Th- it- this mutant may <laughs> accidentally murder people. But it's not because, you know, they're a vicious killer or anything. It's because their powers, they're new to them, you know. And, we, and they're kind of terrifying. Also like, that, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're also very, very scary. Anyway, speaking of not having any idea what's going on, do you want to go into Excalibur? Great segue, because that's going to lead into my question. Um, uh-huh. Uh, before we start this, 
Did either of you have to check issue number nine to make sure you didn't miss anything? Because I sure did. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Okay. I'm glad I'm not alone on that because I was like, wait a minute. I feel like I missed something very important. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I, f- I figured out what was going on kind of toward the end, but I was like, huh, they, they kind of just dump you into this, huh? Yeah, which, I mean, yeah, we'll find out it's on purpose, but let's jump into it. Uh, so Yeah, it would almost be better to read this from end to back to the beginning. Yeah, like just yes. start at the, start at the that's, last that's page. That's how I would summarize this, that's how I would summarize this issue. It, yeah, uh, it's... A very interesting choice in a way to write this. Um, so, but for Excalibur number 10, verse 10, A Crooked World, uh, this is written by Teeny Howard and was released in June of 2020. Uh, and before we open up here, do we want to spoil what the twist is here? Because I think we all agree it's very confusing if you have no idea what's going on. I think that's how it works best. And we've been recording for over an hour and I would like to go to sleep. So I think that works better for me. Yeah. Okay. So okay. Uh, the, go the, ahead, Tim. The, the twist here is that this is, we, we open up on a data page here that like London's preparing for war and that like they're at war with Krakow now. And we get a bunch of like war stuff throughout the whole issue where it seems like the mutants are now like the enemy of London, even though like Excalibur's running around. We figure out, later this is like a pocket reality that jamie has made and he's just kind of playing around with so none of this is like happening to our current excalibur team this is like a like an alternate universe thing yes yeah which once you learn that it's like oh okay that makes more sense but given excalibur does have this knack for jumping around without explaining itself you kind of have to take it at face value when you open it up and it hard starts with London getting missile striked by Krakoa. And you have to just be like, I thought we were in Otherworld fighting Saturnine and there was dragon stuff going on. No, no, no. We're in London now. Yeah. And it's, yeah, we, we got Betsy, Rogue, Gambit, Jubilee, and Richter just getting attacked by humans in London. Mm-hmm. Like some some London military guys immediately show up and open fire on them. Yeah, we do get little teases here and there that there is something going wrong because this missile strikes out of nowhere. They get rescued by Richter and then they are taken to the Krakoan gate that is now burning. And there are effigies of Jean and Xavier there that are also burning. And... They questioned, how did this happen so fast? Why were we not aware of it? And that's going to come up a couple of times of like, this feels like it's a nightmare. This doesn't make any sense. And that's technically on purpose. Yeah, like they they have no idea what's going on. And it's again, it's because they just kind of appeared in this universe. It wasn't really going before this. Yeah, it's almost like when you have a dream, you're thrown into the middle of the dream, not at the start. Your brain kind of like backfills the start of it and is like, okay, no, you're here now. Yeah. Don't worry about it. So, but to continue with the story, uh, after they get to the gate and realize that there's no way off of the island, uh, Kate shows up with a flying galleon ship to take them back to Krakoa. Because, yes, the missiles did come from Krakoa. No, they don't know what's going on, but all mutants have been recalled back home. 
Yeah. Uh, so they picked up, uh, she picked up Pete Wisdom at the, um... Lighthouse? Yeah. But mm-hmm. apparently he was killed during all that. Yes, by oh, London uh, Special Forces. Yeah, and before that, we, uh, we get introduced to who's flying the boat, which is, uh, Rachel Summers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, in her questionable hound outfit, uh, that we saw in giant-sized Nightcrawler, uh, she's decided to bring it back. I don't think that was a good choice, but I will leave her to it. Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, Pete's dead. They're gonna they're gonna go resurrect him on Krakoa. Uh he'll he'll probably be mad about that. That'll be fun. Mm-hmm. And we are now deep into the story, and we finally see behind the curtain, and this is where Jamie Braddock admits that he has the ability to kind of bump reality and it'll kind of splinter off a little side one where it is then stabilized by Betsy or at least in this version it is stabilized by Betsy because this reality that was then broken off even though it is not fully stable it takes Betsy's thoughts and ideas and backfills everything that was missing or broken and fills it in that is why we suddenly have missile attacks from Krakoa, because for some reason that was in Betsy's mind, uh, as well as some of the other things going on here. Our our imagery of this thing is also like uh it's it's the ship floating around in like this little red ball thing. It's it's essentially a reality in a snow globe. Yeah. Yeah. So is this a an alternate reality that he's spun up? Uh he's not actually like modified the actual reality. Yeah, I, I kind of got the impression that's what happened. This is just something he made. Okay. Yeah. It, it see he seems to hint that he can manipulate it more so because he's he talks about playing with the knights and dragons and everything. But I think this specific one he hasn't really played too much with. So, but he does talk to uh Morgan Lefay here, who is still tied up in Apocalypse's creepy red evil laboratory. And Jamie tells her and us, the audience, that he's doing this because he wants to recreate the Captain Britain corpse. Because, as he says over here, he wants to start a war. Why, we don't know, but that is his apparent goal here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, back on the Lighthouse Island, they are being bombarded with missiles. Gambit has this really nice panel where he absorbs the explosion of the missile, and it looks really, really cool. I've said it before, I think out of almost all of the comics, I really like Excalibur's colors the most, outside of when New Mutants uh, does something fun like it just did. I think, I just, I don't know, I really, really like the way Excalibur just looks overall. I think it looks great. Yeah, it's very colorful. I like it. Yeah, it, it even manages to do colorful stuff like that when, like, the whole, like, scenario here is just, like, Nonsense. kind of has... Well, no, it's got, like, this, like, hellfire shade of, like... It, it looks like the climax of the Hunchback of Notre Dame just, like, is happening, <laughs> like, yeah. uh, like okay, yeah, at yeah, yeah. all times here, yeah, uh... Yeah, but I do I do get what uh, Chris means about the colors. There's a lot of like glowy stuff. There's the there's Betsy's shield. Mm-hmm. There's the lighthouse. There's a lot of like action lines going everywhere. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it, it's very nice to look. At. 
So, uh, yeah, as they're kind of recouping from that, uh, a unicorn shows up and uh, just, just stabs Jubilee right through the shoulder. I, I think this three panels here at the bottom really captures the spirit of Excalibur because it's, hey, we're talking about something, somebody gets a little in-depth about it, and then something else completely different happens to start the next scene. And that is Jubilee getting impaled by the unicorn. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and Jamie's on this thing. Yep. And something uh, that we skipped over a bit earlier... Uh, but Betsy does make the connection that Jamie is doing this. I think it's kind of a stretch that she would just assume it's him doing all of this with the missiles. That seems kind of convenient for her uh, because he does show up right after. Uh, but he does admit to her that, yes, this is his doing. He did this, but the missile specifically was her idea, not something he did. Yeah. Just kind of, like, mentions, like, yeah, is this just how you saw the world? Or did you think they were going to do this? Um, mm. But, yeah, and, like, just kind of tells her, like, yeah, you, I just made this reality. You aren't actually real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even goes so far as to say my Betsy is an other world. You are the first of the new Captain Britain Corps. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so she tries to attack Jamie because he's he's being kind of an ass. Um, and it goes pretty well for him. Uh, yeah, until, um, Jamie, uh, says, you know, he did send another volley of missiles, uh, and Betsy was not prepared for this one. In fact, so unprepared that it kills her. Yeah. Um, they all gather around the body as we get, uh, actual cracks splintering out of the amulet. Uh, which, again, shoutouts to the colorist, great job. Also, shout-outs to the artist for the paneling here, because the actual panels are cracked. In, yeah, and it's... In it this. It's very cool. It cracks in a way that separates, like, everybody. Like, Betsy's face is in one panel, Rogue's in another, Gambit's in another. Which kind of makes sense for how it's going to go in the next page, which is you just get, like, this, like, giant crack throughout, like, the page. Where everybody is split up into, like, four different panels, and everybody gets the own their own amulet. And I, I kind of wonder if this is, like, reality splintering into, like, four different other realities where everybody got the uh, amulet. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is mm -hmm. uh, because of the data page at the very end. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with Sergio. I think that is what it's representative of because uh, we are going to see a breakdown of these incursion events, I believe they're called, that show what happens and what breaks off. And at the end, yeah, this breaks into four different ones. Yeah. So yeah, we I do also love the page with all four costumes, which we had already seen. Yeah, we, we got this uh, in the I I love the paneling in this. Yeah, we, we got this in at the end of last issue about much context. So yeah, it looks great here. Um I it's all of them just like holding up the amulet while having on the Captain Britain costume. Yeah, so some of these costumes look pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, some of them really work. You know, Jubilee, great gambit. I'm really coming around on. I like the Richter, jacket. Richter needs work, I think. I think it's the hair. Yeah, I think Jubilee is easily my favorite. I think it's the glasses. They really make it. The, the glasses it are very good, yes. Uh, just for anyone not actually looking at this, they are... Uh, it's like shades with uh, the Union Jack over the lenses. Mm-hmm. Oh. 
So uh, yeah, perfect. No notes. Yeah, yeah, no notes. They're good. Uh, and this is the quote unquote birth of these Captain Britons that we saw Saturnine discussing at the last issue. And we cut here to her rallying her priests and priestesses as banners of these new false Captain Britain Corps are hanging everywhere. It looks like, at least to my reading of it, she is setting this up to make herself look good. Uh, almost like a false flag, if anything. I think it's hinting that she's working with Jamie to do this so she can just gather more power and get rid of all of the Captain Britons. Yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure how to read this because I was under the impression that four new realities were created, but then we have the, in this single panel her being aware of how all four new Captain Britons look. So, yeah, I don't know. Are they bringing them together back into real reality? Maybe. I, I think it's because Otherworld as a place is outside of all realities. So it's kind of like the meeting spot for everything else. So even though that those four splintered off into their own thing, they could all still show up here in Otherworld. Hmm. Okay. It's it's a little weird and confusing, uh, but I, I don't know how else to explain it. It's really, there's only one other world. There's not an other world for every reality. So every other reality can just come here. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think it makes sense. That's a good explanation. Okay. Yeah. So, but then we do get this data page here right at the end explaining the incursions that Jamie Braddock is able to do. Uh, and... You know, it just shows everything. We have our Betsy, who is still in Otherworld. This other Betsy that was created, that was in London. She died. Another reality incursion happened. And now we have the four new Captain Britons. Yeah. So, yeah. Exciting stuff. That's that's our issue of Excalibur. Yeah. A, um, I think it's a fun way to tell a story. I do not think it works here. Only because Excalibur as a comic has kind of taught you that you need to look back to make sure you're not missing anything. If Excalibur was just a more cohesive story, I think this break would have worked better. But at the moment, it just doesn't. And it's very confusing. Yeah, it's one of those things where I feel like once you realize the twist, it's like, oh, okay, I kind of get it now. But yeah, it's it takes a while for you to get hit by the reveal. Yeah, I, I've kind of come to expect it from from Excalibur, like this sort of jumping from one idea to the next. Yeah, without much regard for what was happening before. Uh, so I, I do agree that the explanation I think comes a little later than it should have. Um, but it, 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 in the end, it does work. I I guess it's more Excalibur. Uh, it's kind of what I expected already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This one was just kind of. A little bit more devious than it usually is. Yeah. And, you know, since it has been a while since I've read this, I'm curious to see how it plays out after this, because uh, I don't entirely remember. And it almost feels like this, this wouldn't have been a data page, but I think it almost didn't have to be its own issue. I, I feel like you could have mm. just explained, oh, King Jamie made his own realities and now we can make more Captain Britons. And that's where these ones come from. You know, 
I, I kind of like this. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm going to say I like that we have an issue of it as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, so I'm, I'm guessing these new versions of Jubilee and the rest are kind of getting blocked out of their individual new realities and back into the actual one or, or something along those lines. So I, I do like them having like these small introductions so they're not just doppelgangers that suddenly appear, but I don't know where this is going, so we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think it'll depend on how it plays out from here. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm expecting this whole thing to, to pay off. Like, they spent a whole issue kind of trying to endear us to a new set of characters that we already know, or new versions of the characters that we already know. Um... So, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that pays off. Not that Excalibur has a history of satisfying results to the investments that it makes. Uh, but, yeah, uh, you know, I'm give, willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. So, next time, we will be covering issues 10 and 11 of New Mutants, as well as issue number 2 of Hellions. Yay. I'm on, honestly very excited for all three of those. Uh, especially because, Sergio, you're so excited for all of this new mutant stuff. And I'm really excited to see how you take the rest of it. And, I mean, I am the Hellions, you know, stan of this group. So I will always be excited to read more of that. Yeah, I, you know, Hellions still a kind of mystery to me in terms of what's going to happen. Uh, I do like the demonic antagonist that's being set up. Uh, but... New Mutants, by far, the most exciting thing uh, happening right now. Yeah, so we will get to that next time. Do we have any other thoughts about this week's uh, episode? Uh, not really. I I think overall I like all three. Uh, and again, Excalibur a little all over the place, as usual. But, you know, it, it's kind of growing on me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm in the same place, you know? Hellions being the stand the standout, but I do have a new appreciation for New Mutants more so, uh, especially because of the art. Since we've been talking about it more, uh, mm. but yeah, very very excited for the next episode. Also, yeah. So all right, well, thank you for listening. And if you have any questions, comments, uh, any ideas for new fake Marvel countries please go ahead and email us at studyofx at gmail.com. And we might read it here. We might send it to Marvel Editorial and tell them they need to hurry up and make another new country. We'll see how it goes. And if you could, if you could leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app of choice, that would really help us out so we could get some more people here for the podcast and enjoy all of these comics that we've been reading together. And if you're looking for this podcast on any social media, uh, you can find it on X, uh, you can find it on Tumblr, and you can find it on Blue Sky. Uh, It is all under Study of X at their respective social media sites. And if you are looking for me, uh, you can find me at Sonix, that is S-A-W-N-E-E-K-S on Blue Sky. Uh, Not terribly active there, but that's usually where I'm hanging out. And Sergio, where can they find you? Uh, you know, people can find me on uh, Blue Sky at Fireblend, F-I-R-E-B-L-E-N-D. All 
right. And Tim, if they are looking for you in a fake country, where should they look and why is it not Latveria? Uh, well, it wouldn't be Latveria, but I am currently taking a nice vacation in the country of Datberg right now. Um, so yeah, that's where I am. Uh, it was a mistake. It's very cold here. Sounds like not the time of the year to go there. No, it's it's November. I don't know what I was thinking. Hmm. Well, be sure to send us a postcard before you come back. No. No? Oh, okay. You know what? I'll, I'll accept that answer as well. Alright. Alright, so before Tim All freezes right. and so he can go back inside uh, to get out of this winter storm. Later, mutants. Bye. Bye.